We're in our sixth of an eight-week series called This We Believe, where we're walking through the basics of faith and then understanding what it means to put those into practice as we're brought into a family of believers, as we become members of a church. And today we're talking about our final piece in that six-part foundation of faith that we find in the small catechism, the Lord's Prayer. Now, normally when we talk about these six pieces of faith, the Lord's Prayer is uh, higher up on the list. Maybe it's number three or number two rather than number six. But today we're talking about it in connection with the story that Jesus tells during his days of ministry on earth. So listen to this story from Luke chapter 18, and then we'll talk about how it gives us an example for an attitude of prayer that we carry into the way that we use the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he taught his disciples in connection with their heavenly Father. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus has a way of telling stories that don't immediately make sense to us. In fact, throughout his ministry, he used parables, those stories that have a particular teaching, a particular meaning that is somewhat hidden to communicate the truth of the kingdom of God. And that, on on the one hand, keeps his stories fresh and relevant. There are stories that you and I can understand and search for the meaning of as well. But then there are times where he, he imparts some wisdom through those stories that have an impact on our lives each day. So he's telling the story about this widow who is begging a, a judge who is unjust. He, he's not someone who cares about doing the right thing. He's not interested in pleasing the people around him. But he does get annoyed with this person, <laughs> this woman who is not giving up in her dispute with an enemy and comes to the judge again and again and again. And finally, he just says, fine, I'll take care of it. Just leave me alone. Now, it's interesting because the person in the story that we are supposed to compare the unjust judge to is our Heavenly Father. And Jesus isn't saying that God is like an unjust judge. Instead, he's saying God is like this authority. Except he's not an unjust and annoyed and disinterested authority. He is an authority who cares about the people he has has poured out his love on. God, the maker of all things. If you remember in the creed, we discussed what it means that the Father created all things and is powerful over all things. He has an intimate desire and interest in you, in your life. And the people who listen to the commands of his son, Jesus, the people who receive his love, which is all people on earth, Jesus' death was for everyone. And Jesus is saying, if God in heaven has anything in common with an unjust judge who just gives up at an annoying person, it is the principle that they both operate on, that they care for the people under their uh, responsibility. How can this unjust judge take care of this annoying woman from his, from his begging and from her lamenting and from her constant badgering of him? He finally takes care of the issue. But God, our Father, so much more than an unjust judge, one who cares for us, one who loves us, one who has chosen us to be his people, how much more will he provide justice for his people? Now, this is interesting. The way Jesus frames this at the end of the story, he says, how many 
faith, people with faith will, will I find, will the Son of Man, will Jesus find when he returns? He's talking about the second coming. As he, as he returns from his heavenly glory where he is ruling at the side of God the Father right now, when he comes back to end what he started as he was born in Bethlehem and lived on earth and carried out his ministry, when he comes back, will he find the faithful? And that gives us a hint as to what our prayers should contain as we cry out to our heavenly Father day and night. So there's two lessons in here. On the one hand, it gives us a picture of how we should pray. Day and night, we should constantly be bringing all things to our Heavenly Father in prayer. We should be praying to Him, crying out to Him, celebrating with Him, uh, calling out for help. And what is it that we should be so persistent in our prayers for? That the faithful on earth would remain. That people would continue to hear God's voice. That the lost would be found. That those who are disobedient would be repentant. That those who don't know God would hear His voice and trust in His promises. Pray for God's will to be done. Pray for God to bring about faith on earth that we might carry forward the promises he has given us for the people that come after us. So we've learned from this story that we should pray and we should pray all the time. We've even learned what we should pray about. But there's a point in the Gospels where the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, how? How should we pray? What should our prayers look like? What should they sound like? What should they ask for? How should we pray? And Jesus answers in giving them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And that prayer has been kept and held tightly onto and held up by the Christian church for thousands and thousands of years. Every denomination, every church body, every group of Christians clings to this gift of prayer from God, from Jesus himself, that lays out what we should be asking God for. So we're going to take a look at the small catechism and the seven petitions, that is the seven pieces, the seven requests that the Lord's Prayer makes and understand how each of these things paints a comprehensive and holistic picture of life as we understand it should be in faith. How can we order ourselves the way that God is calling us to be? The Lord's Prayer begins with the introduction, Our Father who art in heaven. We're calling out, first of all, to the God we believe in. Who is this God that we are praying to? It's not some nameless deity. It's not, it's not some, some force that's out there, some great energy that exists in the universe. We're not casting a stone and hoping it lands in the right pot. No, Jesus revealed his Father to us. And so we pray to that heavenly, holy Father who is over all things. Our Father who is in heaven right now. The first petition, the first request Hallowed be your name. As we are in October, of course, we think of Halloween. What does the word hallow mean? It means to be made holy. So Halloween comes from the history of the night before All Saints Day, a holy evening. Hallowed be your name as we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. We are lifting up in glory the name of God. May your name be kept holy. May we remember that you are who you are and to respect your name, to lift it high, to hold it in high acclaim, to bring it glory. We always start there so that our priorities remain in the right uh, in the right order. God is first and he's over all things and we want our lives to be ordered after his glory and holiness. Holy be your name, O oh God. The second petition, the second piece of this prayer is that his kingdom would come. Your kingdom come. What does this mean? How, how can we pray for God's kingdom if he's really in charge? Isn't it already here? We're not praying that God would change his actions toward us. We know that his kingdom was brought near by Jesus and we exist in it as Christians, but we're praying 
that our lives might be living in accord with that kingdom, that it might be evident in the things we do, in the words that we say, the way that we treat one another. Thy kingdom, your kingdom, the kingdom of God, come, be here, be among us, be ordering our lives. Your will be done, the third request goes, the third petition on earth as it is in heaven. We know that in heaven, in in the place where God is reigning now, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father, things are going according to God's will. It's perfect there. But here on earth, we struggle. We have problems in our own lives. We fight against each other. We cause harm. We are selfish. There are great disasters happening. There's great calamities, natural disasters, war, political issues, civil outbreaks, domestic problems. All these things are breaking down, and we know that that's not the way God wants it to be. And so we're praying that just as all things are ordered after his will in heaven, that he would work that same will here, that he would provide relief for the people suffering, that he would cause divisions to to end, that he would bring his people together and bring peace on this earth. The fourth request then is that he would give us today our daily bread. This is that simple reminder that everything we have in life comes from God. And so it's right that even if the paycheck has my name on it, even if I went to the store and bought what I find in my refrigerator, even if I know the the whole line of production and where things were made and how they got here and how much I paid and how much I earned them, everything we have in life, from the air in our lungs to the thoughts in our head to the things on our body to the things in our home to the car that we drive, everything comes from God. And the things that we need to sustain a daily life When we remember that God gives us them, it keeps us in a healthy relationship with the things he has given us so that they don't eclipse his great glory. And instead, we know that he is the source of all things. And when we are finding ourselves in a troubling time, in a time of difficulty, we can pray that he would provide. And out of his mercy, he will provide for our needs. Forgive us our sins, the fifth petition, as we forgive those who sin against us. What is this other request Well, we know that he forgives us through his son, Jesus, but we know that we need to hear that forgiveness day in and day out. When we gather around uh, his word in worship, we receive forgiveness in our baptisms and we are marked as God's children, but we receive forgiveness in the sacrament of the altar in communion as we are bound together in a faithful uh, declaration of what we believe and also washed clean through that participation in Jesus' body and blood. We also pray for forgiveness that we would be constantly aware and reminded of the work that God does in our lives to make us more like him, to make us clean, to make us whole. The sixth petition is that he would lead us not into temptation. We know that God doesn't tempt anyone. The scriptures testify he is faithful. But we also want to be led by him into the right things. So not only do we want to avoid temptation, but we want to be led toward what is godly and what is holy. So when we pray that God would not lead us into temptation, we are praying that he would lead us to what is right. And what is good and what is beautiful. And so we follow God's leading in life that we might live a life that is faithful to him. That is a a positive witness to the work that he does in our lives. And finally, the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. We know that on the cross, Jesus won for us eternal life, a citizenship in heaven. And yet as we walk on this earth, we are plagued by sin. We are pursued by evil. We are brought into conflict with things that cause harm to us. So we ask for that deliverance that we know ultimately will come in the heavenly kingdom when Jesus comes back to earth. We also pray that in the meantime, God would provide relief. God would provide rescue. 
We could turn and look to him for solutions to all of our problems. No, it might not be the way that we want it. No, some things may not change for the duration of our earthly lives. But God will ultimately deliver us from all evil, all of us, at the coming of his Son. And finally, the, the, the prayer concludes with this addendum, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Just like the beginning of the prayer begins with a recognition of our Father who is in heaven, whose name should be made holy, so also the glory and the power are His forever and ever. We want to remember that He is the great Creator. He is the one over all things. And Jesus gives us this prayer to pray persistently, to pray uh, constantly, to pray in good days and in bad so that we might model ourselves after that persistent widow in the story who was calling out to an unjust judge. Her persistence won her relief. We are calling out to a just and righteous God who loves us and knows us personally. And he has given us these words to call out to him day and night that the faith may continue, that we might share his love with others, and that on this foundation of six pillars of faith, we could carry that same witness and testimony forward to the people around us. Let's pray together the prayer which Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.